Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of RZ Weekly. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Molly Brodsky and arrived Johnny Solomon to talk about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. There's so much going on in the religious world today, uh, in the modern orthodox world, in the Haredi world. We're going to talk about it from our, our perspectives and start with the women's Siyum Hashas. Okay, as we all know, as many of you know, you follow it, if anybody follows in social media, uh, there was a, a, an enormous Siyum Hashas in the United States that was coordinated by Aguda Israel of America. There was a Siyum Hashas in Israel for the religious Zionist community. I don't know how many other Siyumim there was one in our, my, my local community. I know, Molly, there was one in your community. Johnny, was there a separate Siyum Hashas in Evan Shmuel? Was separate but every every major city had their own. Very fascinating. But there was also one produced. Uh, Molly, who produced the, There was who 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 took charge of the Siyum Hashas? Okay. I'll let you, Molly so take it the, over. Uh, there was uh, a Siyum Hashas for uh, by women for women, which was fascinating in that. And I I'm just going to start my perspective, and I'll give it to Molly. I'm not going to give him given perspective. It involved many many women and girls around the world. Charged them with learning i.e. so that we're going to not only celebrate those, those women who have who actually finished the Dafyomi themselves, but also involve them in saying, we're going to learn the Shas together, meaning take a Daf, take an Amud, come and celebrate, which was, I think, brilliant and fascinating, and then culminated in this, in this very, very uh, pu- public ceremony in Binyanei Umar, where 3,000, mostly women, but some men as well, came and celebrated this women's Siyum Shas. So... It cannot go unmentioned, unnoticed, that this is a, first of all, it's a new phenomenon. It's a brand new thing. And then the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does this mean? How do we, how do we, how do we digest this? So first of all, I'll say it to Mali. Mali, can you, uh, uh, I just learned today that you're a Messiah Dafyomi. You're a Shasid. So, um, so yes. please share your perspective. I'm sure you also have some information behind the scenes of the preparation of this Yomasha. So take it away. Yes. Okay, so first of all, um, well, I'll start with what I started by telling you, which is that I didn't actually attend this this cycle seum because I'm in Avela, and uh, you know I got a few surprised responses. What do you mean? But it's a, um, I, I felt that it was it was absolutely a joyous occasion, especially for me as I knew. Okay, so I'll start with my own personal history, which is that yes, I finished Shas not this cycle, last cycle, um, basically 14, 15 years ago, I guess if it's two seven and a half. 15 years ago, when this when the previous cycle started, there was a woman in Alon Shvut who decided, let's start a... Uh, first, she said, can we, you know, um, learn Dafyomi? And then the question arose, can we join a men's group? And then that, then that wasn't always... That was a little complex. So then she said, okay, let's start a women's group. And so there's been a woman's Dafyomi share in Alon Shvut for the past 15 years. I participated in the first cycle, um, finished Shas. Um, very, very, you know, felt very, very... Um, Kind of humbled and, and 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 it was a very momentous occasion for me. Seven and a half years ago, did not do the second cycle, but there are women in Alon Shvut who actually have completed Shas twice now. Um, women who started learning Shas are now Magid Shir. It, it's it's quite a inspiring um, experience. Um, but I really felt like going was it was going to be a joyous occasion. It was it would have would have felt like Simchas Mareus because first of all, so many of the people that I know are involved would be there. Okay, and now I'm going to just give you the background. So kudos and Yasha Gadol goes to Rabbanit Michelle Farber. This was all her initiative. Michelle uh, Rabbanit Farber um, has been teaching Daf Yomi, um, on, I think, to a group of women. I think it's also online. After the Siyama Shasta, as Ruby said, now, like, 
thousands of women have now started listening to her podcast, which I think is wonderful. This was her idea. And I agree with you that one of the things that I think she did that was so brilliant was um, when she created this initiative, this Hadron, she didn't just create an event that was going to be a typical Siyama Shas, come and celebrate the people who have finished Shas. Um, also invited um, women. She invited various seminaries and address show. All of that was was brilliant, well executed, well organized. She got wonderful speakers. All of that is to her tremendous credit. But I agree with you that the smartest and most impressive thing that she did was that she she started this initiative called Potach Adaf, so that before the Siyam Hashas, there was a movement to have young girls, young women, and women everywhere participate in the Siyam. Everybody learning a Shas. Everybody learning a daf, excuse me, so that they would feel part of the siyum. And I, I mean, I'm sure she has the numbers of like, you know, h- how many women participated and actually learned to took a daf and, you know, was shas finished and how many times was shas finished by that initiative. But it's, it's quite inspiring. And it, I think it, it, first of all, not only got people excited about it and, and whole midrash showed excited about it, but it, it gave people a sense of, um, of, of, of buy-in, of agency, of participation and really participation in this learning experience. And I think that that was so wonderful. And I agree with you that it's going to, I hope it also propels women. It it gave them a taste of learning and feeling part, and that'll help them continue to learn. I think the reason Uh, I think that was so important is because, at least as a man, you know, I watch the Siyum Hashas, but I've learned Gemara, and I know what it is. And I think that very often, I don't know, you'll tell me if this is true, women come from the outside, and it's sort of like this, wow, these men do this thing, and it's very impressive, and I encourage it, but it's not my thing. They feel like spectators. And at least to give them a taste, they, like you know, to try to say, no, you can open the Gemara, you can do this, this is something that belongs to you as well, that I think that's something that that uh, hopefully will encourage women to... to yes. And again, I think she did it in two ways. First of all, the entire seum was was by women, for women, women-oriented. And all the other seumim, even the ones that were, um, you know, the Mizrahi seum, which was also apparently a wonderfully moving experience. I imagine one of you or both of you had been, were there. Um, um, and had women participating and women speaking. But still, it, it, I, I, it wasn't the same degree of participation, participation, let's put it that way, in terms of the seating and in terms of all kinds of other things. Um, now, that's not a critique of it. That's just a description. Whereas this was a completely, um, the women were completely front and center. It was a completely women learning centered experience. And I agree with you that adding this, that particular ti'ima, that taste of learning, only um, took what she did already, making it a, a, a woman, um, a, a, an experience where women could feel fully participata- participatory and upped it even a higher level into okay. learning. So I want to turn uh, to Johnny and ask the following question. Johnny, I'm, I'm, I know you're the, you, you opened this Chachma and the Anashim learning group for women and you are a champion of women's learning. But let me ask, a, I'll ask it in a provocative way just, uh, just to, 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 to highlight the point. Uh, let's assume, does there need, why do there need to be a separate women's Siyum Hashas? Why couldn't Michelle Farber have come to the religious Zionist community, of which she is a full member, and said, listen, women also celebrate, are celebrating the Siyum Hashas. There are a number of Shiurim. I give a Shiur, and I'll with this a Shiur, a number of other places. Why can't we make this, let's make this a part of the larger Siyum Hashas. Like, is it necessary for there to be a women's Siyum Hashas specifically? And what would have happened if, I don't know, the Agurukam would have come and said, it's a men's Siyum Hashas only, and we're going to celebrate men's learning. Okay, there's a lot of what-ifs. Uh, so let's just begin with uh, a brief disclaimer. I, I founded something called the Women's Online Bet Midrash, uh, which is continuing to grow. 
uh, and I'm also a board member of Chokhmat Nashim. They're not uh, necessarily um, connected, but obviously demonstrate a significant investment of time in promoting higher Torah's uh, learning for women, and as I do in, in teaching in Midrashot. I'm, I'm not here to, I, I can't really answer why Rabbanit Fava, Fava did, didn't do what you suggest she could have done. What I can tell you is the impact of what was done was extraordinary. Uh, and let me just give you uh, two minutes as to why. As Mali mentioned, uh, uh, she's been teaching Daphne Omi already the entire cycle. And, and since the uh, Hadran Siyam Ashas, the, the amount of people downloading the Shia, which is both in English and in Hebrew, on their website has gone to almost 5,000 per day, which is... I have to interrupt you for a second and comment on the fact that giving a Daphne Omi Shia twice in one day in Hebrew and in English is like exhausting to me to even contemplate. So I give her kudos for you for just doing that. Right. And, and, and I mean, I have personally haven't uh, listened to the Shirin, but I know that they're celebrated for their clarity. And that's obviously something to, to be uh, applauded. But what I, I came to Midrash at Lindenbaum the day after the Hadron Siamashas, where all my students had attended. And, you know, they were on a whole different level. Uh, so let me just give you a little, just a, a paint a picture for a second. You know, many times when a, a woman wants to hear a, a shia, she, well, she's limited by, at least in a physical sense, she's limited by what's in your uh, uh, horizon. And oftentimes when people give you shirim, in particular communities of men, if it's a woman, it's often a shir about what they put in inverted commas, women's issues. Uh, and, and something which I've strongly uh, uh, spoken about is, I want a time where we have on our shelves spine of women about Torah, not just limited to what we talk about as women's issues. A Siamashas is the ultimate, you know, summit in terms of uh, learning the classic Talmudic curricula. And to have a Siamashas celebrating women who've gone from beginning to end 2,711 pages, which demonstrate grit and determination, which is an expression of Amelut, is a message which is so profound. And so it, it was really a celebration of the transformation and the accessibility and the role models of women's learning, which uh, are continuing to grow year in, year in. And uh, I'm delighted it happened. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there because we had a family simcha at the time. Um, but I, I'm so delighted it happened. And I can tell you that it's had a huge impact on young students and, and older women and men. Uh, for them to say, take seriously women's learning. Until now, it's be been slightly more underground. Rabbanit Faber's been giving a dafyon, but most people haven't been following it, only a, a certain group of uh, women and some men. Now it's been taken to a whole new level, and, and it's been given a prominence. So were it to be uh, done in a very different way, people would have applauded and said, that's great. But because it was done in this manner, I think it's indicative of a transformation and uh, providing a great opportunity. To but again, John, I want to ask it again, because this is something that it sort of resonates for me. We talk about women producing material. You said specifically, like, I also wait for the day where a woman writes a safer and it's, and it's read because of its own value. Well, that, that is happening. Let's not wait for that day. Meaning, Yael Ziegler, keep, that's, that's one of Yael's lines. Yael's like, I, I teach Torah. Right. Like she does. She, she, she. Well, I don't want to speak for her, but I know that she feels very strongly about this issue. She considers herself a Torah scholar and not a female uh, Torah scholar. You know
and not a female therapist. Yeah, Correct. Like and by the way, I give a share. The world. mission in the world is to teach Torah, and she's so, not the only so one. Th- so this leads to my next. Let's not say I wait for the day. Let's say the day is coming. The day is here, and we'd like it to, um, you know, continue and perforate. I, I, which only leads to my leads me back to my question, which 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 is, would we not yearn for the day where there isn't a women's um, a women's siyum hashas? There's a siyum hashas. And the women and the women are not shunted into a, like a women's section in the aguda, and and I, the Mizrahi would never do that. You know, the, the women's section actually never appeared on the cameras. I don't know if you noticed that, but okay. Um, uh, but uh, like in the Mizrahi, I mean, for me, the day I yearn for is not where there's a women's siyum hashas. There's a siyum hashas, and there's not like women, and I don't have to highlight women. Whoever finished, finished, and some men speak and some women speak. You, you know what I'm saying? Like. Okay, so Ruby, you're longing for a day. Uh, by the way, I'm not. I want to make it clear. I'm not against the women seeing mashas. I'm really not. Maybe maybe no, this no, is no. a step okay, we need I, in order I, to I get want to there. Respond to what yeah. you're saying. Exactly. It's like great. You're longing for that day. We've been longing for that day for the past 25, 30 years. I've been longing for that day half my life, if not all my life, if not two thirds of my life. Right. But that what was so inspiring about this is that. I think is a stepping stone along the way. And I, I think, as you said, like I, I had some conversations before um, and in terms of people talking about, you know, organizing it, I don't think anybody uh, anticipated the scope and the impact of, of, of what this would actually mm. be, right? I think people thought this would be very nice and it's a beautiful thing. We'll bring the girls to the Midrash show and they'll be inspired. You know, and some are like, well, why do we need two? They'll already been at Mizrahi. Nobody anticipated how powerful an experience this was going to be for women. And I want to say from so many women came up to me and, and either shared their experience or asked me, you know, what, were you weren't there? And how, you know, it was like, it, 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 I really feel from after this week, this was a watershed moment. I really feel like this right. was a watershed moment. And that's how it was experienced by people. And I, I'll just give you two um responses from two different people that really, I think, encapsulated what I think many women are feeling. And it's women from across the spectrum. These are not monolithic women who had this. It was like every woman in that room, I have not heard one negative experience and I have not even heard one part of experience. I've only heard women describing something completely moving. So I just want to give you two two examples. One is Shana Goldberg wrote a blog, if people want to read it. Um, Also, Rabbanit, Rabbanit Shana Goldberg. I don't know if she goes with Rabbanit, but I, I think she whatever. So she teaches in, um, in McDell O's and she wrote about how she, and she's written before and she's spoken before about holding the tension between, um, you know, tradition and innovation and all this stuff and, 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 and living with tension. And she said this, that night was just a night of pure unadulterated joy, no tension, no difficulties, just 3000 women in a room celebrating Torah and celebrating not learning and celebrating connection to Torah. And it, she said like it was just absolutely mind blowing and inspiring emotionally. And and the other the other one, I won't say her by name because I should probably ask her permission, but somebody I spoke to yesterday, Derek Agav, I was not speaking about this and then we, should, we started speaking about this. And she said, the way she described it, I thought was so beautiful. She said, it was Hakel. It felt like Hakel because the purpose of Hakel is to inspire. And this felt like that, like an ingathering of people who felt all connected and all inspired together to learn Torah, to teach Torah, and to be part of the Torah experience. And I think, I think what you're, what it exactly, what it gave women was exactly what you're describing, right? It's like, it it, it was like the lived experience of having a seat at the table, not just having, this is our table, right? We're, we are the table. And I think that that's what was so powerful about the experience. So yes, of course, you know, we all long for the day when, like, 
it's just obvious. And, you know, the women's section will be half the room um, or whatever the numbers will be, right? Because they're also technicalities. So that's, you know, there's always other side issues that make things a little more complex. But let's just say right now, half the room and this, there'll be half the speakers and it'll, it'll just be normal. Um, that, that day is not here yet. And so this was, but, but I agree with you that this was definitely a stepping stone. And I agree with Johnny. It's also, I think, an opportunity for everybody who has been part of this movement. I would even perhaps even say revolution and people who were not part of the revolution, but who were born into this movement to have a moment of appreciation for where we are, right? Whether that's to look back at how far we've come or just to appreciate, again, even if you're talking about young women who can just appreciate where they are and what opportunities they have. And I think that that was also part of the feeling in the room. Okay, Molly, I want to ask you a different question, which is a really interesting question. Let's say women are, okay, women are inspired to learn Dafyomi. So it like, and I've seen like, as Johnny mentioned, this idea that, uh, you know, that not an idea, I've seen like Seth publicizing, like thousands of people are downloading um, Michelle's mm-hmm. Shirim. Like, okay, I want to learn Dafyomi. I want a clear Shirim. I'm sure she's great. But there are many men who are just, you know, there are many Dafyomi Shirim available by men. Why is it that women, or tell me if this is true or not, is it true that women gravitate or would prefer to hear a Dafyomi Shirim by a woman? And if that's true, why? What, who do they, what do they care about? The, meaning, why is the gender of the person giving true. the shear of a dafyomi? The truth is, it's actually kind of funny because someone, uh, one of my students wrote to me and said, I, you know, I'm inspired to learn dafyomi. Do you have any suggestions? And I like gave a few suggestions and I forgot to mention Michelle's. I'm going to, I'm going to do that right now, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but like, I was like, you know, I gave a few, you know, per, you know, very popular ones that I know of off the top of my head. I, I don't know that they would. I don't know that they wouldn't. It could be that some, it could be that some women, um, that people gravitate, like gravitates to like, and people like to, 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 to learn from or to, to, to hear from people who they can identify with. And it could be that there are some women who won't and that there are women who will just listen to, what I guess is that most women, like most humans, will listen, will, will listen to like, you know, four and choose the one that suits their needs the best. I don't think that, 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 um, that that women only listen to other women. I think it would be a lacking if there weren't women's voices, right? I think this is like you could make a parallel to all types of like um, uh, minority groups, right? It's like I don't I don't know. Um, choose any minority group, right? So if they're not represented at all, that's a problem, right? And so let's say you're a part of a minority, you want to see yourself or hear yourself. Let's say if you're talking about about even entertainment, you want to see yourself represented on the screen, or you want to have models or heroes or role models who look like you, who sound like you, who have your cultural background. But that doesn't mean that you can't identify with somebody who's not from your cultural background, and that you can't have role models or be inspired by people who aren't like you. So you need both, right? But to not have that at all is a, is a problem. But it doesn't mean that I now am limited to only having the experience of the person who's exactly okay. like me. Okay, Johnny, I want to turn to you and ask you another question, which is something that I noticed about this Tium was that it's predominantly, in fact, almost entirely Anglo. And as I follow the Israeli press and... I don't know if that's One second, true. predominantly, it's definitely predominantly Anglo, without a doubt. Michelle is part of the in Anglo community in terms of learners. Okay, but I'm saying... In terms um, of, in terms, even Rachel... No, in terms of the learners, the, 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 the people that were there, you had Majesha Lindenbaum, you had McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Majesha Lindenbaum was Majesha. established by who? 
Miguel Lewis was established by who? I would, yes, but I'm just, I'm not taking issue with your point, which is that um, the the women's learning revolution has, like many things in this country, has been heavily heavily influenced by the Anglo um, Aliyah. But I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd call it predominantly. Okay. Well, I, I mean, there was a glowing article in the Times of Israel and the blogs in English. Yeah, Have you yeah. seen any of that? That's I mean, I, I read uh, Besheva and I read. Uh, I'll see. I haven't get my. I haven't yet opened my my uh, my. Um, what's the newspaper? I can't remember. Whatever you know, what I'm talking about this morning. Yeah. Okay. Mukor Bishon. Thank you. It's yeah. my mind. Um, I, I would be shocked. If I see it, like a yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just not. I'm just disagreeing so the, with you. So the question is, I, I don't even know if it's a good right. question. Point what does it mean that this is primarily? And I, 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 I say this in the sense of frustration. Like I gave a shear for a number for a couple of years. I gave a women's shear in Gemara here in Yad Benjamin, and like it was predominantly Anglo or you know English speaking women. I gave it in Hebrew. A couple of women came. There was almost like no interest whatsoever. You know, you know, and and how does how do you, is it, or how does there become that crossover? Because my perception is that, because I, we, I live in both worlds, I don't know how much you, either of you do, that while it's definitely something that's promoted and a value in the English-speaking world, in the Hebrew-speaking world, much, much, much less so. And I would say even there's a lot of pushback because there's the chardal element of the community and the, you know what I'm saying, even the mainstream datilumi element of the community, that doesn't necessarily see women's Gemara learning as a priority and would even say, eh, you know, you have other things to do, ruchniyut and spirituality and things like that. And maybe dafyomi isn't something I would encourage, they would, they would encourage women to do or even more serious Torah learning. How do you, how do you balance that, Johnny? How do you, do you agree with my assessment? And how do you see this, uh, you know, if, is it at all possible that it can make inroads in the Israeli world? So I, I, I disagree, but I'll give a reason why. Um, uh, firstly, I think this has been celebrated in many different groups by many different people. Uh, and uh, while I agree that many of the voices uh, who, who spoke have some kind of Anglo background, although I think we would agree that many of them are very Israeli in, in terms of who they are, how they contribute, etc., and the kind of institutions they work with. I acknowledge that some of them at least have uh, Anglo backgrounds of families and have that kind of uh, dual national uh, identity. Uh, but nonetheless, as I say, it has been discussed in many different places and blogs, and uh, I think you'll be surprised I haven't yet opened a newspaper myself, but I, this has been noted and celebrated by uh, many Israelis. But let me explain to you why I disagree. For many years over, um, I used to frequent the Bailan University Library because it was just unbelievable. Um, and probably for the last 30 years, on and off, I've I've gone there and, and since making Aliyah much more frequently. I remember even 30 years ago when I went there and doing some research about something, actually it was about 25 years ago, and I saw something which I'd never seen in England, which is women sitting in the library, you know, looking at Gemara's, looking at the Shainim. I thought, wow, this is a complete Kiddush to me. Um, and what is quite clear to me as, as a Brit, and I, so I know partially in America what's slightly different is, Academia and, and traditional Jewish learning have often been quite distinct uh, worlds. In Israel, there are many settings, not all, where those worlds come together. And, an example of that would be Bailam. So women's serious learning of halachic tests and Talmudic tests has already been happening in Israel in a particular way for quite some time. 
Um, and the idea of dafyomi obviously speaks to some people less to others. I'm not the I'm not a dafyomi participant. I'm I'm considering trying right now this new cycle. But the the model works for some people more than others. So uh, I think in Israel, uh, uh, some people say that, and they say that's an amazing celebration of women's learning. But women's learning is broader here than necessarily women's learning, or at least the the depth by which. Women are learning uh, uh, in-depth halakha and Talmud than necessarily elsewhere. So there's a contextual understanding and a way in which this celebration is perhaps being perceived by some. Um, I'd like to address the issue, Ruby. I do agree with you. I think, and I just actually sent you um, a post, a very excellent post by Rabbi Lyle Fran addressing this. Notice he's an Israeli addressing this issue, and he, he does exactly what you said, which is like, this was tremendous, this was wonderful, um, but then he points out how um, what in Israeli society is not supporting women's learning, certainly not learning Gemara, certainly not learning Torah Shual in an intensive way, and it's for sure true, and I, and I think it is true, coming at least from an American background, um, I, I think that it's, I think it's, I think it's pretty fair to say factually that um, women's Torah Shual learning uh, was it has been much more emphasized and developed much more in the states, probably because of the influence of Rav Soloveitchik would be my guess, um, and 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 that the, and that the, that movement to for women's you know women's, women's intensive Torah about pest started there, and and I think that when there are Anglo's who come here and feel very frustrated that they don't necessarily have let's say the same parallel certainly in the co-ed schools in America. They're, then they come here and they don't have the same options for their daughters in their openote. And I think that there's work to be done on they that They really front. do not. And there I are think, no openote. I mean, really, there are... I, I mean, right. I mean, even, again, in the gush, because we're in the gush, right? So it exists. But even here, uh, it's it's a far cry from from what what people have had. You know, these are people who, who then, they themselves, when they were in high school, had stronger options than what their daughters have here. So there's work to do. There is work to do. I hope, and again, it's it's starting to move. And I think the the, the explosion of midrashot learning is hopefully going to trickle down into the high schools. Um, and I, I hope there is a posi- there is positive movement. And just on Johnny's point, I think the reason and we see this in America also, it starts in the in academia. Women start in academia because if very often that's the only track available to them, right? It's like um, when I was in Stern. This was pre-GPATS. If you wanted to continue learning seriously, what options did you have? So any young woman who wanted, or, you know, woman at that point, who wanted to continue learning seriously, her option was to go to Revel and get a get a degree in Jewish philosophy and Jewish history and Talmud and um, in, in Bible, right? Because she didn't have advanced degrees available to her. That, and I remember the first meeting where they were talking about creating GPATS. Right now, GPATS exists. Uh, which is, you know, and but that's also, by the way, through... Yeah, Molly, but it's also like a whole ecosystem. Meaning, what, let's say these these women, these Israeli girls would want to learn and would learn seriously. Okay, when you're done, what do you do with that? I mean, there's no there's no professional okay, options so for them. All, it's all... It's a, it's okay, a, so these are all it's questions a, it's a, that, are, that have been asked and, and that are being discussed. I agree. And so that's why all these questions are... Be, again, like, this is now what's... All of the issues that you're discussing are now the issues that, that are on the table for institutions of higher learning, right? So like um, uh, Migdalos is, 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 is asking these questions. Drisha, which just opened up, is asking these questions. 
Um, certainly Midrash Lindenbaum is asking these questions and all the other Midrash are asking these questions in their own ways, right? Like, what's, what does the future look like? What does women's learning look like? What should the curriculum look like? What should the expectations look like? What should the, what, what should the yeshiva day look like? Should there be a difference for you in, in the yeshiva day for, for our Matmidot, let's say, who are there, you know? And by the way, just to give, uh, to give credit, credit to do, Midrash Lindenbaum has had a, um, Berea Scholars program for 30 years, you know, where, where they've been mm-hmm. advanced women's learning, um, which is where I bet Michelle probably, unless it was, she might've been shut a bet when I was shut off, but. Okay. Um, I mean, I but, think all know. these things are progress. It's just these, the questions have to, you have to, right. the question has to be asked. Okay, but what I'm saying how is do you, you all, how do you take, right if you think that this really is a, complex. like so many other things, if you think this is a positive phenomenon that, that definitely begins with Anglo orthodoxy, without a doubt, you know, you know, you have to realize that there's a lot of suspicion, especially in the more conservative with the small C world in Israel of anything that comes yes. from America, anything at all, and a lot of resistance. And sure. it has to be it has to be taken into account. And well, that's, I think, also part of the success of this hadron. I think it was done beautifully. Right. They did a beautiful job um, because, as you said, there's suspicion and some of that, you know, has legitimate you know, foundations, just because I think the American reality and the Israeli reality are different. And as you said, I like the word ecosystems. I think ecosystems should develop organically, and I think Israel should develop its own ecosystem. Um, but this was just done so beautifully. And it, it, it just was an evening of pure inspiration, celebration of Talmud Torah, and, and a push to involve more and more women in Talmud Torah. And that can only lead to positive things. And and yes, there are going to be diverse responses. There are going to be, and there should be. There, there should be. I'm, I'm very happy that, that, that Midrashot span the spectrum of Hashkafot. And, and, and by the way, I, I don't necessarily believe that every woman, I think that's actually an interesting prerogative of women. Um, even though the truth is, whatever, we could talk about how men's, what should the curricula be for men may also come into question. But like the freedom that women have to choose what type of learning they want to do, I think is, is very positive. Like let there be all different types of midrashot for all di- different types of communities. I think that's, I personally am, am in favor of that. Okay. Uh, we're going to, um, Johnny, you have something else you wanted to add on this topic before we move on? I'd, I'll just say one further thing just about the word suspicion. Um, you know, I, I teach in numerous different midrashot and meet uh, women teaching matan, etc. You, you can have the most well-intentioned, well-meaning modest uh, in, in terms of how they approach their Limud Torah, woman who learns any, anything, be it advanced halakha or Talmud, and there'll still be people who ha- have suspicions and often express them. The, the, the impact of those kind of um, words, which erode sometimes on, on, the, on the spirit of people who are just working really yes. hard to understand Varashem, is so, so significant. And so therefore, I want to just bring it back. You ask, why have this specific event? Can you know what? Actually, to be strong takes a, set, a strength of num- in numbers. Uh, there are numerous studies that both in, in, in every aspect, but also especially in terms of gender. Strength comes in numbers. To be in a room where people say, enough with people being so suspicious mm-hmm. about us learning Torah. You know, what is this here? We're not trying to... Uh, manipulate other people. We're just trying to celebrate Talmud Torah. Yep. And it's so, so tiring and so, so frustrating, truth be told, so, so hurtful, where the word suspicion, and, and not obviously the word, but the, the, the act of being suspicious is such an automatic thing when it comes down to Limut Torah Nashim. 
and is often so, so absent when men often study things for all many different uh, agendas or, or, or opportunities. And this is a mothership moment, not just for celebrating the Mutter of, of Nashim, but also to respond to that, saying, this is, as, as was mentioned by a number of journalists, this isn't my words, but you can see in the blogs, the word feminism wasn't mentioned. There, it, well, this wasn't about comparing with men. It was just a celebration of women's Torah. And this is what I've been talking about for, for many, many years. You mentioned Yael Ziegler. I, I teach a course based on her book. It's unbelievable. And, and I do have many of the Sfarim which have been published in recent years, but, and the shelf is slowly growing. But if, if men knew how to listen to divrei Torah from women and not say the word despite women or, or necessarily make a whole big deal or make some kind of cutting remark, perhaps in the future. But even till now, most can't. And I was at a, a CMSS where, where I heard similar remarks. So um, I think that's, I suppose, a response to some of your questions and just a response to that word suspicion. Okay. Here, here. Um... Uh, we're, let's, we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of a shift and uh, and move on to a topic that we'll, I, I just want to do it a little more briefly, but it's a topic that that's sort of connected. At the end of the, I, I, actually, I don't want to connect it to Siemashas. It's it's totally separate. This came up uh, for me. I actually study at Bar Ilan once a week, and um, and it just so happened it was it happened to be it was there on a, it was a day off. It was uh, I don't remember why it was Hanukkah. So I was standing there on Hanukkah, and there were very few men there for Mincha. And this was in the main Beit Midrash in Barilan, 135 Mincha. And davening, you know, very small minion, very good. At the end of davening, so from the women's section, a woman started to say Kaddish. And usually when this happens, um, usually there's always a man there who says Kaddish, and the woman kind of says along. But in this case, there was no man there. So she kept saying Kaddish, and everybody answered, and nothing happened. You know, like it was just... The women said Kaddish, and everybody, like, you know, went on their merry way. And it made me immediately, like, uh, it was a very an interesting and new experience for me. Never, it never had, I had never experienced that before, that a woman said Kaddish alone. Um, and I immediately thought of Mali, because I know Mali is in, in Abelut, in Shana Abelut, for her mother, uh, Aleha Shalom. And, uh, and Mali saying Kaddish all the time. And so I called her and I said, I don't know if I WhatsApp you, I called her, I said, did it ever happen to you? Did you ever have that experience that you... Uh, were then, you know, I guess said saying Kaddish and nobody else said Kaddish with you. And how did that, like, how, how did the community relate to that? So I, I wanted to bring up this idea because Johnny had mentioned to me this book called Vroom that hopefully at one point we'll, we'll discuss. And in the article in the book, he mentioned this idea, there's a, this phenomenon of women uh, saying Kaddish for their parents being more involved, even though they're technically, you know, how should we say this? Not count, not technically. They're not counted as part of the minyan. I don't know. Johnny will tell us what the halachot are, the level of chiyuv, if they have such a thing. Uh, I mean, not, no, Johnny's not going to. We're not going to put you on the spot. Okay. I, I assume Johnny knows everything about everything all the time. So that's just me. Um, Molly, can you speak about this idea of the idea of saying Kaddish? You don't have a chiyuv. You feel it. You, you clearly don't have a chiyuv, but you're an only, again, you're an only child. You want to say Kaddish for your mother. And how, how does it feel as a woman saying Kaddish in the, in the man's world of the minion, which is clearly a man's world? Yeah, so um, I actually do think it's connected because when Johnny was talking about, uh, you know, the how women feel often with within Judaism, he was talking about uh, Afghan learning. I was like, this is a perfect segue into the Kaddish conversation. 
Um, first of all, yeah, this is kind of a funny day because it's like all these personal things about my life. But yes, I am saying Kaddish for my mother. I'm an only child, which is why I feel a particular obligation because the Chiyav of Kaddish is really on the child. I do have an uncle who's saying Kaddish as well. Um, whatever. Okay, I'll, I'll, I won't go past that, but I'll say that, yes, I'm saying Kaddish for my mother. Um, and I will say that um, that in general in my life, what what... I agree with Johnny that, like, um, you know, I'm not a stranger to this issue of women trying to do things and then encountering resistance or whatever. I personally never felt, I, I, and I've said this before in the podcast, like, my solution has always been, like, find the group that's doing what I feel that I want to be part of and just do it. And 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 I, I have never felt that pain that so many women describe of feeling invisible feeling unheard, feeling unseen, feeling excluded. And the first time I felt it was when I was saying Kaddish for my mother. And again, this is without criticism because I'm in a wonderful community, um, which is really supportive. I'm not the first woman to be saying Kaddish in Alon Shvot. Um, but I, 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 I want to tell, I, I want to give the following experience. And I also want to say that while I was sitting Shiva, um, the women who have said Kaddish came over to me and kind of gave me support about it. And I don't remember which, who it was, but somebody said, sometime during this year, you're going to cry because of the experience of being a woman saying Kaddish. And I kind of filed that away in my head. And then I noticed when it happened to me. And then every other, in the past couple of months, and this was even in the past couple of weeks, I've had conversations with other women who are saying Kaddish. And so far, every woman has had that experience somewhere. So where was it for me? It was it was in Shloshim. It wasn't even very far in. And I got to Shul, um, and it was the Rabbi Yishmael Omer Kaddish. So it was in the very beginning. And I was upstairs in the women's section, right? There's, you know, you have the Beit Midrash minion and the, and the main sanctuary minion. I'm upstairs in the women's section. And I'm, I, you know, and I kill myself. It's an early morning minion. And I get there and I'm all ready to say Kaddish. And boom, Baruch Shemar. And I literally felt so um, invisible, disempowered, pained. Here I was. I was all set to say Kaddish for my mother. And they just ran across, ran right by me, and they didn't see me. And I felt like, where's my giant flag that, I'm, that I can wave over this balcony to say, like, I'm here, see me, and acknowledge me, and, 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 and make space for me to be part of this experience. And, but the truth is, again, to, to um, soften it, afterwards I realized that what had happened was that there, weren't, there wasn't a minion. It wasn't that they had like, oh, there's, do we need a Kaddish? No, we don't need a Kaddish. Let's go on. They just decided to start without Kaddish because they had, a minion wasn't there yet. So they, they just started without that, that first Kaddish. So that, that actually made me feel better. Um, but my point is that for sure, every woman has some experience. And again, I'll, I'll just tell you a few more because I think it's important for people to understand what, what it is, what this experience is. A friend of mine, who, by the way, is not saying Kaddish, but she came, um, I think she came twice a day, to hear Kaddish and answer Amen for her father. Um, that's her, you know, that's where her level of, um, you know, I, I would say religious uh, comfort is in terms of, you know, what her halakhic choice was. Um, but because of that, she needed a man to be saying Kaddish so she could answer Amen. And she was at a minion. Um, that day I was not there, I was at a different minion. Um, and I, I want to say this also, this is actually very important, which is that after my experience, I went immediately to the rabbis and I said, we need a solution for this. And to the great credit of Rav Ramon, he um, installed in Alon Shfut now a, um, a device where you can press a button in the woman's section and, and, a, and a light lights up on the bima for the men 
that, I don't know if it says Kaddish or it's just a light, and it informs the, the Shliach Sibor that there's a woman who, need, who, who, who wants a Kaddish. Now, again, Rav Rimon's Psaq is that he prefers that women say Kaddish with a man. Um, as you said, there's more than one halachic opinion. It's not necessarily, you know, not every halachic opinion believes that, it, that there needs to be a man saying Kaddish, but I completely respect that that's how Rav Rimon wants it to, to be in, in our shul, that it also solves, you know, tensions for everybody, right? If anybody's uncomfortable, there's always a man saying Kaddish, and therefore a woman can always have someone to say Kaddish with, whether she doesn't want to say it alone, or whether she does want to say it alone, or whether she's not sure, whether there's a man who's not comfortable with it, this solves all the problems. Wait, so I, he, I, I'm going to so, stop you. Does that solve your problem? Because I have, no, I have to tell you, for me, really, when I have, I have your say for my father, show, like, if you correct. know halacha, you know and the idea maybe. of the Kaddish is you're inspiring uh-huh. the community to say Yehesh Mei Rabbah. And so now we're saying to you, wait, Molly, okay, we want you to feel good about saying Kaddish, correct. but you don't have the opportunity correct. to... Forget that. Every single time, three times a day, I get to show, and Kaddish light or no Kaddish light, because I'm not always in that minion, and sometimes it's Shabbos, and sometimes I feel stupid pressing the light if there's, you know, three people in there who are going to be saying Kaddish anyway, and I feel like an idiot, right? Every single minion, I peer over the, the mechitza to make sure there's somebody saying Kaddish with me, right? And 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 uh, whatever. There are people who are very helpful in this regard um, who say Kaddish with me and for me. But um, but every single time I have that moment of mm. tension, it's not pleasant. And another thing I realized, and um, I don't know if I should share this, but uh, no, I won't share it. I'll just say that, that, the, that the Kaddish experience has really... And again, it's a positive experience. I'm glad I'm doing it. I'm doing it for very specific reasons. But nothing, nothing in my experience as a, as a, as a woman, as a, as a halachic Orthodox woman who um, tries very hard, as I said before, to find that balance between um, full halachic observance and um, doing, maximizing my, my avodat Hashem in every way possible, um, even when sometimes that's something that's that's new, but but that I'm comfortable with halachically, never has anything made me feel unseen in the way that this has. Um, and again, that's in a wonderful community with a lot of wonderful people. And I just I want to share two stories because I just want people to understand the experience of of women. So this this woman who's a very good friend of mine who will not say Kaddish by herself at all, she'll just say Amen. So she's there and she's on a minion and she presses the button. And it was a, a late minion, weren't a lot of people there, and, and no one says no one starts to say Kaddish. And so this very sweet, wonderful man is looking around saying, No, somebody say Kaddish. He didn't want to say because he, he didn't feel comfortable. He had two living parents. And there was a guy there who could say, and this guy says, And my friend Wait, what what was Shuyot? Was it Shuyot that he thought the woman should say on her own? Or it's wait, it's Shuyot that the women shouldn't say it by herself, or Shuyot that the women should say it at all? I don't know. Actually, a, I don't know. My guess is he assumed it was Shuyot that her amen was meaningful. But who cares? Who even cares? Her feeling was mm-hmm. my I, you, my father who said hello to every single person came to show all the time was the was the was the emotional and spiritual mainstay of his community. You was a Holocaust survivor. You won't. You can't just say Kaddish so I can say amen and honor my father. Can you imagine what that feels like mm-hmm. for her? And then I have another friend. Saying Kaddish, and she's from America, and she came to Israel, and um, it was a little rough. I said, "What happened?" She said, "I was in a shul. It was it was not in my community. It was city, and I get there, and I get there for mincha, and I'm davening, and I'm used to America, where either in my community someone say they say Kaddish for me, or it's much more common that even if there's no 
person who needs Kaddish Yatom, they just always say it. And I'm davening, and they finish, look around, and they don't say it. And I'm left there standing high and dry. And it was it was very hard for her. So, and, and then I had another friend that I spoke to. Wait, and week. they knew that she wanted somebody to say Kaddish? No, they didn't know, but that's part of the point. The point is you have a woman. It's the woman so, Molly, so you're, it's interesting. You're, I, I'm, I understand, I, 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 first of all, I thank you for sharing these experiences, which I'm sure are painful. So, but I hear a tension. There's, a, there's an inherent tension here. Which yes. is that the minion is it's a it, it's not in a nasty way, Correct. but it's a man's domain. It's a men's domain. There, yes. you know what I'm saying? So that's what and I was, that, that yes. this, this is an experience. You know, if you look at many of the sources, even the sources that I that I that I was able to see from Avadi Yosef and some of the other sources, say, sure, women can say Kaddish, but they should never say it in shul. Meaning they should gather the women together in a, in, in in their home, and then the women can say Kaddish. So how do you? I want to turn right. to Johnny for a minute because I'm obviously want to hear from my, my experiences. Johnny, do you see a way to to overcome this tension, or it's just inherent in the notion of wanting women to be able to say Kaddish if they want to? But that's the nature. That's what it is. Meaning, it's a minion of men, you know, and by by definition, the way the halacha defines it, and there's really no way to overcome the tension in such a way that could could 100% assuage and avoid uh, experiences that are painful for women. So, you know, I'm actually going to answer with a completely different story because it happened last week. Last week, uh, we were celebrating my daughter's bat mitzvah. I had some family over for Shabbat. Um, uh, and, and I'd said to, uh, to uh, the Gabbai, there's only a handful of Levim in our shul. I said, please give my father an aliyah. And my father said, no, 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 no. You please have the aliyah for Levi. And so I, whatever, you can't always argue with a parent. Fine. And then the, the Gabbai said, we, we're going to add an extra aliyah to, for your father. Uh, I said, really, it's no need. He said, I've spoken to the rabbi, it's happening in the conversation. So they, they called up my father again, meaning they added an extra aliyah. Um, uh, and again, this wasn't our wish, it wasn't our demand, it was just uh, uh, out of the gesture, shall we say, of the community. Just think for a second. Basically, the entire shul was prepared to add a couple more minutes to their davening because uh, some of the leaders of the shul felt it would be mukhubad for to be mukhabed uh, my father as much as me. And, and, and that wasn't on our wish. What did that show? It shows a certain understanding of community, of grace, of generosity of spirit, basically what a community is about. Uh, and that's aside from, let's say, where people ask of that. Uh, ultimately, we could discuss how shuls respond to women saying Kaddish or not. But if you have a shul with a generosity of spirit, right? And this isn't even a couple of minutes. This isn't an extra aliyah. This is a few seconds of sensitivity. Meaning, what I can't fathom is, why is it that in so many other aspects of a shul, in terms of the extra brachot, we say, the extra mishabrach, somebody's been on a trip, so we decide to have multiple people saying hagaymel, we're prepared to tolerate that. When a woman saying kaddish, right, seems to be this really masubach, really confusing and complex thing, it needs a light by the bim, which is yeah. kind of thing. I have a friend right? who's like, it's like it's an egghead bus. I think it's wonderful, right. but like there are... I, I, don't, I don't agree with what that. A, what, I, my yeah, point I, is not, I don't, I think, I know Molly's community. Molly's community, Molly's community is incredibly sensitive, and they put that button in there in order to be sensitive, in order to make, just make the men aware that I, Molly's there. I'm not, correct, I'm not demeaning correct. that. I'm not demeaning that, but the point is, the point is, the, the, Again, I, I, I'm sure that the spirit of doing it is fine, and I'm not here to, God forbid, to make a comment. It's not meant to be a criticism of the community. The fact is, though, that just as much as my local gab, I spoke to the Rav and had a little quiet conversation and da-da-da-da and sort things out. It just takes a few seconds, and people do that as a say, because that's what Kehillah is. 
It takes just a few seconds to look to the to the mechit and see, see if a woman's there and to have a quick nod, right? Most mechitas, you can still see the woman. <laughs> Not in my show. Okay. <laughs> right. So, again, some, yeah, some know, and that's a whole debate yeah. unto itself. Tachlis is, those few seconds is what a shul should be doing. And if a shul does invest those few seconds for recognizing people who are in the Beit Knesset, coming for a tefillah and wanting to contribute and honor people, then I suspect 80% of some of the frustrations that Mali described, and they were very painful to hear, would be ironed out. There'll probably still be certain logistical blips and people therefore uh, need to work better to improve systems. And that seems to be what they've been doing. But all I want is a time where we recognize people who are present as being present. We recognize that taking a few moments to be sensitive is what a community should be doing. Okay, Molly, I want to I want to conclude with this. We've heard, I want to end with this, and, and and you can choose not to answer. If you happen to be, I mean, obviously, right, you are going to respect your Rob's preference, but let's say you're in Shul and no man says Kaddish. There's nobody there. Or you're in another shir, and you're in the bar and I midrash where nobody would say anything. It's you know you can do whatever you want, and there's no man saying kaddish. Would you say kaddish? Uh, have you done it? And do you think you would feel good about that, or it would be difficult for you? It's a great question. I want to also I'll answer it, but then I want to address what Johnny said. I want to I want to say a few words about that. Um, I think my answer would first of all I want to just say that um, when I said to my cousin. When she heard that I was saying Kaddish for my grandmother, she said, oh, I'm not surprised. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, Safta said Kaddish, meaning not the, my father's my father's mother. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, in the, in the, in the book of, um, you know, about my family, there's a story about how my grandmother, who lost both of her parents, she lived in Lithuania, was she, she describes remembering being taken from the schoolyard and being taken from her, the playground to the shul with all the other Yosomin, because we're talking about, you know, Lithuania in the early, you know, beginning of the century, to say Kaddish, women and men. And I remember when I was saying, when I was sitting Shiva, a very prominent woman in the community said, oh yeah, I mean, how Lita was a women say Kaddish all the time. So I personally, for me, um, experienced my saying Kaddish not as some type of innovative thing. I, 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 I consider it part of a Masora that's actually very grounded, perhaps is, 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 you know, not necessarily um, common everywhere, but certainly has very, very um, strong roots, both personally and um, in terms of halachic precedent. So the answer is it has not happened yet for me. Um, probably would I do it? I would do it depending on the community, um, depending on where I was. If I knew that the people there would feel comfortable, I think that I, if I had no other choice, I probably would. How would I feel about it? Also, would probably depend on that community, and um, in a lot of ways. And I won't say more than that. Uh, I'll leave it there. For, I guess for we'll only know if it ever happens. Then, All right. I want to thank Molly. I, I really, really want to thank but you. Wait, wait, wait. I want to answer. I want to say one thing. I'm sorry. I truly sure. want to say one, one other thing because I really want to expand on Johnny's point. I think it's a really important point to make, and it's about women, and it'll kind of close up our whole conversation here. Which is um, when you talked about shul and is shul bechlal disenfranchising space. So um, you know, there's a lot to say there, but I will say that for sure. I, I can testify that Johnny is correct, that it's not just about, he's right, about just one second of sensitivity, but it's also about when you, when you plan how a show looks and how a show operates, there's, there's a meeting I go to once a week. They only have it on Shabbos. My experience there is 
completely different than my experience during the whole week. And as you said, I love Alon Shut, I love our community, but the structure of our, of our shul makes it much less comfortable. And the shul I go to on Shabbat morning, I'll just describe what's there, okay? First of all, it's a smaller group of people. Second of all, the mechitzah's down the middle. Third of all, um, there, I know that they're aware that I'm there and that I'm saying Kaddish, and I know that they are hearing me and, and saying Amen to my Kaddish. And I, and I feel really part of the experience. And so taking steps to, to make, yes, there's probably always going to be, you know, this is a totally different conversation, issues, not issues, but like realities about orthodox shuls that make it primarily a man's space. The degree to which that's going to change is, is complicated. And I personally am not sure, you know, I, 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 I have... It's not that I think that we should uphold, up, uh, far from me being somebody who thinks that we should uproot everything at all. Um, at the same time, there's plenty that can be done. The way orthodoxy creates shuls that can make the space feel much more warm, welcoming, and have women participate, as Johnny was saying, but not just in terms of that moment of sensitivity, but in terms of the larger structure. Here, here. I think that's a great way to... To end, the, to end this, we'll end this discussion here. I actually want to thank you, Molly. I like I it just uh, I called you before. I just wanted to be clear that I didn't put you on the spot. I called Molly before and asked yeah. her to, if she wanted yeah. to talk about it, and you, you clearly did. So I'm glad we had this. That's it. Because and again, because I'm not the only woman. It's like so shocking. Every woman I speak to who's chosen to say Kaddish, and some of these women are tough mm -hmm. cookies. They all had moments yeah. of pain, and I think that that that, that hopefully that. All right, and I want to thank Johnny Solomon, Rob Johnny Solomon, for participating again. My name is Yudin Spolter. Thank my stomach, Dr. Spolter, for our music. Uh, thank you all for listening. Have a great week.